Again, I'm Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Covenant Church, and I'm happy to be with you here today. If you were with us the past couple weeks, you know that um, I had um, three weeks in a row uh, for a sermon series. And so as I was looking through scripture, I was trying to find something that would be able to cover in sort of a totality kind of way. So I was actually looking um, for scripture books or letters that had three chapters so that I could do a chapter per week. So the Lord led me to the second epistle of the Apostle Peter, which is three short chapters. And so two weeks ago we did um, the first chapter. And then last week uh, I had prepared chapter two. Now if you've read Second Peter chapter two, you would have been as scared as I was after finishing that doozy of a passage. For Second, Second Peter chapter two has a lot to do with false teachers, with sin, with sexual sin, and it had a lot to do with, with us dealing with that kind of uh, those kind of things in reality and in our life and how it works in our culture. How do we understand that? And so I was ready but nervous. Um, and then we had an unexpected tragedy, as all of you are aware, when we lost one of our youngest members. And so the church pulled together quickly um, to come together and to find words of comfort and wisdom for last Sunday as it had still been fresh, as it still is fresh in our minds. So I can sermon for Sunday morning, and we went to um, different places in scripture. But I want you to know that I really did write a sermon for that, for that chapter two. I know you're thinking like, oh yeah, that was good timing, Jordan. No, it was like, I wrote it. So to prove that, I printed it out for you, okay? And so I think it's important to understand chapter two, because we're going to talk about chapter three today, and the more context that you have in scripture, the better understanding we have of it. So what I did is I put together a little fancy packet that has three sermons on the three chapters, including today. Okay, so what I did is I, I printed those out. I didn't pass them out yet because I didn't want you to be distracted looking through the sermon that I would have preached last week, seeing if I did an okay job. So as you leave, if you'd like it, um, there is a packet available. It has a nice little title page called Peter's Postscript, and I will give that to you. That way you can go back and look at chapter two and see uh, how the Lord uh, desires for us to understand him more. So with that being said, today's sermon is the final chapter of the second epistle of Peter. Epistle meaning letter. And as we studied in the first week, Peter revealed to us in this letter that this was, for lack of a better term, his swan song. He said that the Lord Jesus himself had revealed to him that he was about to die. The Lord had come to Peter, and however that conversation went, Peter walked away understanding that his time left on earth was short. Peter described that in, first, in the first chapter as his body as a tent, something that is temporary, something that we put up and then take down and move to another place. And so Peter says, my tent is going to be taken down, and I am moving to a different place. Of course, speaking of passing away, dying from this earth, and going to the heavenly realm with his Lord Jesus. So, knowing that, Peter writes his final words. And we know final words are um, something that if we had the opportunity to take time and, and eloquently put them together, we would. 
We want to leave words that would uh, speak to a legacy we hope we left. We'd like to leave words for our children and for our friends, but hopefully encourage them and maybe learn from some of the lessons that we learned in life. And so I believe that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Peter is using this as a style as he's writing this letter, that these are his last words. P.S. The second epistle of Peter. I think it's important for us to understand that Peter has an intended audience that he's addressing in this letter. I think it's important for you to understand that he wasn't writing to this letter to the entire world. That he had a certain group of people in mind, that he addressed this letter to a certain people, and he is pretty clear that it's addressed to the beloved, God's chosen children, the elect, the sons and daughters of God. So he is writing to to simplify Christians. He's writing this letter to Christians, so I want you to bear that in mind as we go through this letter. He's writing to the beloved, and the context that, that he's writing to is important as we read, so please keep that in mind. So as we read, let's turn our Bibles to Second Peter chapter 3. We're going to do, as I often do, read in portions. We'll stop, we'll go through it, and then we'll continue. So we're going to begin with verse 1, chapter 3. Hear this living Holy, active, scripture, word from God. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing that, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desire. We'll stop there. First of all, when we hear the term last days, I want you to understand that we believe that's the time between Jesus' arrival, his first coming, and his second coming. So we've been in the last days. We are in the last days. And I also want you to understand that Peter is doing what he was doing in the first chapter, and he says, I am stirring you up by way of repetition. Right? This is a common way that you and I both remember something, by repetition, by repeating it. I heard somebody say in the first service in the coffee, uh, next to the coffee machine, they introduced one another, and she said, I'm going to say that like five times. I'm going to say that, Allison, Allison, Allison. That's the way I remember it. If I repeat it, I remember it. And so Peter is saying, I'm going to stir up your minds, and I'm going to say things that you've heard before. I'm going to say things that you've read before in the Old Testament. He says the holy prophets. And what he's referring to in the holy prophets are the writings of the Old Testament. Men that God used, such as Isaiah and Ezekiel, he's saying they know these words, and he wants you to remember them. He wants to be repetitive, and he wants to stir up within you so that you don't forget the things that you have learned. Peter uses this platform to teach his readers of what to listen to and what not to listen to, right? He talks of scoffers. Now, this is a common thing that we say to our kids today. You probably recognize, like, hey, why don't you hang out with Timmy? He's such a nice boy. He's always so polite. He throws away his garbage. He plays chess. I would much rather you hang out with him than Tommy. Tommy has earrings. Tommy has a skateboard. Tommy says, dude. 
And so these are things, I'm learning this as a parent, like, hey, Braden, maybe go hang out with that crew instead of this crew that's, like, running around half naked, you know, in, this, in the neighborhood. And it's a common saying. You've heard this saying as well. As adults, we say it this way. You are the company you keep. Have you heard that before? Or show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are. Have you heard that before? Where does that come from? Why would I bring that up unless it came from Scripture? You should have said, but the Bible. Yes, it comes from the Bible. From Solomon. Solomon writes in his Proverbs this. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the, the companion of fools will suffer harm. So Peter is saying there's going to be scoffers and they're going to defy the wise lies to you and they're going to tell you like you do you live your own life live the way that's just the way you were made bro don't let anybody tell you you can't do what you what you want to do man don't don't worry about things after life there's nothing there like hey man you got to do whatever you got to do to take care of yourself these are scoffers these are lies that the world will tell you in order to bring you in, to deceive you, and then to destroy you. To give you a false hope. So Peter is echoing Solomon when he says, hey, stick with the wise. You'll gain wisdom. Go with the fools. You're going to gain destruction. And so he gets specific. Some of the things that people will say the scoffers will say, and so he says in verse 4, he says, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Speaking of Jesus, his second coming. They will say, forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning. So Peter uses an example of a particular attack on God and his people, saying that, yeah, it's funny how you believe in this God who's never really showed himself before. They say, it's funny how you believe in things that you can't even see. They'll say, it's funny how, you know, the, world, the world's been in motion for who knows how long, and I haven't seen any evidence of God. This was the scoffers that Peter's writing of many years ago, but doesn't that sound familiar? How we're hearing the same scoffing today? And so they specifically talk about God's inactiveness in our world. And so Peter, wanting to oppose these scoffers, rebutes his claims, and Peter uses some examples himself. He talks about creation. You know, we talked about two weeks ago the general revelation that God's made the world in such a way that it's very difficult for you to deny him. It's very difficult for you to say this was just a big accident. That, you know, here we are in this solar system perfectly on this planet that, you know, coincidentally, coincidentally can house us perfectly. And that we're the perfect distance from the sun. And the world has provided for us food, and it's just one big accident. Or it's the world evolving itself. Peter says, <laughs> it's no accident. 
people will actually get to the point that I've talked to that, that there is some sort of creator, there is some sort of intelligent design, that there is some motion. And, and so Peter is, is basically saying that, so you can look at creation, the, the, the whole world was formed out of water just by God saying, let there be light, let there be earth, let there be animals, just by speaking it, right? That's the power of God. But Peter says, you know, he's done something since then. Peter says, you remember the wickedness of people had gotten so great that God used water again. Not in the way that we wanted, but the Lord sent a flood that destroyed all the wickedness in the world, preserving only a few. Peter says it this way, For they deliberately overlooked the fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was diluged with water and perished. Speaking of the flood. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exists are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So Peter's pointing out the ignorance of these scoffers who are suppressing God's hand in creation. And the notion that our God is the only one who can create something out of nothing bothers people. It bothers people when you tell them God is in control. It bothers people when you tell them that there is a, a supernatural creator who created everything, sustains everything, and everything that is to come to pass has been ordained by him. And that freaks people out. You know why? Because that means that I'm not in control. That makes me feel really small. That makes me feel like I don't have any real control over my life. And everything that you're saying as far as God's impactfulness to be able to sustain and sovereignly reign over life and death, and I'm not, I don't have any say in that, it freaks people out. The idea of an almighty God. And so that's what these scoffers are saying. And these scoffers don't know God as a loving Savior. Even if they can come to the fact that he's this creator, that I'll even give you, he sent a flood and he's powerful. But these scoffers who don't know him as a loving Savior are without hope. They don't know him that, as a God who would send his son that would give up his son to die. An intimate, loving, sacrificial God. So they deny Unbelievers will deny. And what, would, what, what do they do to refute claims of God? They, they look to science. And they look to philosophy. And they look to everything else for answers of life, but they can't humble themselves enough to recognize and embrace the almighty sovereign creator. So, like I said, there's many people, I would say the majority of people will admit that God is a creator, that there at least is a creator. But the fact that he has any sort of control is, again, something that they don't want to believe. But if you look at that word, to, that word create in Genesis, where that word originated, where it says God created by the word of his power, the heavens and the 
Hebrew word for that that Moses uses, bara, B-A-R-A. And the tense of that word, the verb tense of that word, is not just to create, but to create with sustenance, with sustaining, right? Like a, like a caring parent, the, the, the baby's been created, and then there's a sustenance to provide. And so God has created, and he sustains. And I think that's important to know because understanding that God didn't just put you here and let's say, go, you know, figure it out. You know, I bought chickens the other day, and so they're little baby chicks, and I put them in this little Tupperware, and that's literally what I do. I just, like, put them in there, and I say, go, and then they run around, and, like, I'll drop food in there, and, like, but I, I can't speak to them. I can't say, hey, stop pooping in your dish because you're going to eat that. You know, I can't relate to them. I can't commune with them. I just, they're there, and then poof. That's not what God does. God doesn't create you and say, poof, figure it out. No. God's involved. He's involved intimately, and he is sustaining, and that he is so powerful that at any point of time, if he removed his hand, poof, we'd all cease to exist. And he would still be the amazing, glorifying, almighty creator. But it's by his goodness that he has the whole world in his hands. And that he sustains us and he sustains our creation. It's only by his divine love and grace and mercy that he sustains the world the way he has. Given us so much goodness and joy. Peter continues and he wants to encourage these believers with some facts of his own regarding the Lord. In verse 8 he says, don't overlook this fact, beloved. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So the the scoffers say, where has your God been for all this time? I haven't seen him. It's been thousands of years, and Jesus hasn't returned. Where is he? And what Peter points out is that your understanding of time and space is much different than that of God's. That you were created and you're finite, which means that one day you will pass away or Jesus will return. But this body will not be your body forever. So you're finite, as in the opposite of infinite. And so time and space has been plucked into, has put into the world for your benefit. So that we know where to go when we're supposed to go. That we have space to be able to love and to be able to share with one another and to enjoy God and all that he's given us. Time and space is given to us by God, but God is not limited by time and space. So while you say, man, 10 years, 20 years, 200 years, 2,000 years, oh Lord, how long? To him, that portion of time, your life especially here on earth, is a drop in an ocean. Anne Lemmett is a writer, an activist. Um, She's also a Christian. And I love the way that she speaks of the brevity of humans, the minuteness, the temporal existence of of humans. She says this, A hundred years from now, all new people. (laughs) She says she has an understanding it's just, eh, 100 years from now, all new people. And that's been what's happened for many, many, many years. But for God, what he has created is just a temporal place, a tiny place, we'll call it earth, and you will have time and space to live your life according to his will, 
but it's just a drop in the ocean compared to eternity. So when you say, where's your God been? God is not delaying because he's lazy. God is not delaying because he likes to see you wait. God is not delaying because he's idle. No, there's a purpose for the time and space that we've been given. And it's good. So Peter continues. He said, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. So he's telling you why, why, why there's been this delay, why it didn't happen right away like we wish. He said, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. As some count slowness, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. God is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So Peter is speaking of long-suffering. That long-suffering is part of God's character. And long-suffering means to have or to show patience in spite of troubles, especially those troubles caused by other people. So what Peter is saying, that God is patient despite your rebellion Despite the way that you will willfully disobey God, he is being patient towards you. He is long-suffering, giving you this time and space to become more like his son. And I say this often, and I'll continue to say this as often as I get to stand behind this pulpit, that the entirety of Scripture is about this eternal plan to send his son Jesus to redeem people. And so... Our understanding of time and space may feel like a really long time. But for God, he's like, Here is, here's the plan, guys. Here's the plan. I'm going to create. There's going to be wickedness. And I'm going to send my son. And he's going to redeem a people, the ones that I've loved since before I created this place. And I'm going to call them to myself. And the reason that they can even come to me is because I've forgiven their sins. And the reason that their sins can be forgiven is because my son died for them. Therefore, their punishment has been fulfilled. Therefore, they have been pardoned. Therefore, they are holy. It's right here, guys. Here's the plan. This is the plan. And in this perfect plan of redemption, God is set out to have this earth exist in its current, often terrible state for a time but it's the perfect amount of time to see all those whom he has called according to his purpose to repent. The delay is for our benefit. I'm glad that Jesus didn't return in 1983 because I was born in 1984. And I don't know how that works if I would have any sort of salvation before I existed. I don't understand the eternal mind of God, but in God's eternal mind and in his eternal plan, his plan was to wait a little bit, and he made me and called me into himself, and I was able to repent and understand that Jesus is my Savior, and because of that faith given to me by the Spirit, because Jesus died for me, I will go to heaven for eternity. So the fact that he waited a little while doesn't matter to me. That's great news. I'm glad that he didn't come in 2013. You know why? Because my son was born in 2014, and he's awesome, and I enjoy him, and I pray that he will come to know the Lord, and that that is part of the delay. It's for our benefit that God has his time and space. 
Now, before anybody thinks I'm just skipping over some of the words that we said, I'm going to break it down theology, the, theologically for a second. When he says, God does not wish that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Real quick, I want to talk about that. If we use the word, the, the, the rule that I've been taught in seminary and by Pastor Brian, that scripture interprets scripture as the number one rule on how to interpret these words, then we can see that Peter is not talking of the whole world coming to repentance. It's just not what he says. He's not trying to be confusing, but if you read this letter, you don't have to go far to see that he says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. And if we look at the letter throughout the entire letter, as we said before, this is addressed to Christians. This is addressed to those who will come to have saving faith according to his purpose, the elect. So when he says, I, the, the reason that there is delay is that all should come to repentance. All of you shall come to repentance. That none of you, my beloved, would perish. Peter's referring to God's elect still. He's been clear throughout the whole letter. Scoffers, righteousness, elect and non-elect. And then he continues. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So the day of the Lord we're talking about is also called the day of judgment, is also called the second coming of Christ, so we know what we're talking about there. And on the return of Jesus, he will gather all of his own, those whom he purchased by his blood, and he will establish a new heaven and a new earth. And so Peter uses a familiar metaphor, a thief in the night. Now Jesus himself used this metaphor, so you know it's legit. Also, Paul used it. That the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ, will come like a thief in the night. And what that means is, if a thief, God forbid, ever came to your house, he wouldn't knock on the door and say, hey, I'm going to come in in like five. Is that cool? He doesn't announce he's coming. He doesn't want you to expect it. And so that's the metaphor that, that is being used by Peter, Jesus, and Paul. That it's going to come when nobody expects it. And it's going to be unannounced. So if you see on Facebook that September 14th, 2019 is the last day of earth, I'm telling you, brother, it's not. Because right there, they just refuted scripture by announcing it. The terrible thief right there. So what do we do as we await this second coming? Which could happen right now. It didn't, but it could have. So what do we do in the meantime? Peter continues, since all these things are going to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you the, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for the hastening the coming of the day of the Lord? Because of which the heavens will be set on fire, dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Peter's describing what your life mission should be as we wait for this catastrophic and beautiful event when Christ returns, to live lives of holiness and godliness, to grow in our knowledge of grace as we've been talking about, and to grow in the knowledge of grace is to grow in the knowledge of God. So what do we do? We have been directed by Peter 
by Jesus and all throughout scriptures what our life mission should be, and it's to live lives of love, patience, goodness, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, seeking to align our character with Jesus and not the world. Now, let that sit in for a second because what the world wants you to believe is that you need to build a reputation that is popular in the world. As a youth pastor, the epidemic that I've watched progress, as an old man in youth ministry, being there for 15 years, I've watched the evolution of social media and how it has completely destroyed the identity and self-esteem of teenagers. Because they look through it, and they look through it, and they want to align themselves with the reputation of the world. So to take that next picture, the world better like it. And what Peter is saying is, no, live lives of holiness and godliness. Align your character with Jesus. You are who your company is. He finishes the scripture, this letter. He says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved... Since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot of blemish and peace. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, speaking of the Apostle Paul, also wrote to you according to the wisdom by the Holy Spirit given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There's some things in them that are hard to understand, which is, you know, why we're talking about it, which the ignorant will twist, which is what we talked about, for their own destruction, as they do to other scripture. Therefore, beloved, once again, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of the lawless people. Don't lose your stability. Grow in the grace and knowledge of of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter's last words to us are that, be steady, don't be swayed by this world that will deceive you. They are scoffers, and their only intention for you is destruction. So be steadfast in what? Your knowledge of God, because that knowledge of God, knowing who he is and the things that he's done for you will make you love him so abundantly you won't know what to do with yourself. Peter's urging us to continue, continue our pursuit of knowledge. Peter ends as he begins this letter. He warns us not to be swayed back and forth by the false teaching of this world, of, teach, of false teachers. Don't be swayed by destructive culture. Find your steadfastness in the one true God. But I haven't read his last words yet. The last words we hear from Peter the sentence. He says, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now, why this is so profound is I need you to understand Peter was a person who struggled with sin, right? But Peter was like Jesus' best friend. He was a preacher 
who preached on the day that the Holy Spirit descended and on the day of Pentecost, and like thousands were saved when he was preaching. Jesus himself tells him, he says, Peter, you're going to be the rock on which I build this church. Literally, Peter was like the biblical rock star. He had the resume every preacher desires. And I would imagine that people would come to him and say, Peter, God has blessed you. Thank you for your ministry. God uses you. You are so charismatic and loving. It is so amazing to see what God does in you, brother. But I would imagine that Peter, every day of his life, was thinking not of that necessarily. Hopefully he is being you know, thankful for that. But what would he th- be thinking of? Don't forget. He denied Christ three times the night he was betrayed. He was aware of his sin. And I'm going to be completely honest with you guys because you're my church family and I pray that this does not cause anybody to stumble. When people tell me that I'm being used by God and that it is uh, benefiting them and encouraging them and it's just... It makes me feel uncomfortable. When people tell me, especially over this past week, thank you for ministering to the Birds family. You brought words of comfort. Thank you for being so pastoral. You know, God really used you. To, I want to be completely honest. It makes me feel really uncomfortable. Because it's saturated in sin. And so... As many of you know, I've suffered from depression for many years. And I've been in therapy for many years. But that's led to all sorts of sinful behavior. And two months ago, I went to another doctor and I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And to be honest with you, completely honest, I was relieved. Because you know why? Now I can justify my sin. My willful disobedience, I could say, oh, I'm bipolar. The times when I would feel really sad or selfish and abuse alcohol, I'm bipolar. You can't blame me for that. The times when I come home and I don't want to be alone and just be selfish and not want to be the husband and father I've been called to be and and not want to sit with my wife and listen to her speak because I'm just tired, I say, I'm bipolar. But that's not, the truth is, is that I struggle with sin. And I believe that by me confessing with my struggle right now, it is an opportunity for me live, to live in the light. And that right now, that the darkness that I would want to hide, I don't want you to know about the times when I drank too much. I don't want you to know how scared I am of being alone all the time. And so I'll use different things to make me feel better about myself. I don't want you to know how selfish I am and how prideful I can be. But by telling you now that all those things are true about me, that it's like a light shining on cockroaches and darkness is being scattered because living in the light is giving me freedom. I didn't say that in the first service because I didn't know what I was going to feel after I said that. But I walked out of that first service and I walked in the sun and, and, and people came up to me not thanking me for what the is doing. They said, I'm praying for you. 
That's what I want to hear. I share in your struggle. I know that you're weak. And I believe that God is using my weakness. And that the devil hates this right now. Because his biggest tool, his most effective tool for me is to tell me, say, Jordan, stay in the dark. If anybody finds out how, how sinful you are, you're going to lose your job. If anybody finds out how sinful you are, how inadequate you are to preach the word of God, they'll never listen to another word you say. That is a lie. That the devil speaks in my ear. And so right now he is pissed because I'm done living in the darkness and you all know now and I'm going to attempt to be as open and honest as I can with you as your pastor and I pray that you will take that with humble understanding that I am weak I didn't know how to end this sermon today I went on my phone last night and I pulled up Twitter And if you're on Twitter, it tells you how long ago something was tweeted. So somebody I follow, his name's Jeremy Walker. He's a Christian. And it said, tweeted just now. I had just finished, I have no more words on here. I just finished everything I thought I was going to say. And he tweeted this. Tomorrow, because yesterday was Saturday. Tomorrow, all across the globe, weak men themselves trophies of grace shall proclaim divine truth with heavenly power and the dominion of darkness will be sacked. These are marvels that we should never forget. I am a lot of really weak things, but you know what else I am? I'm a trophy of God's grace. And what God has given me to do today is to bring those truths from his scripture to you, tell you you're not alone. Peter's saying you're not alone. Scoffers are going to come against you. They're going to tell you that you are to live in that weakness, that people will not accept you because of it. But Peter says, no, I want to remind you that you are a trophy of God's grace. And until that day, when he Attach yourself to wisdom, to righteousness. Be steadfast. Don't be swayed by this culture that will lie to you, that wants to kill you. You are my beloved, my son, with whom I am pleased. God, may that truth drench our hearts. Father God, may if the weakness in this room, those of us who are struggling, and there's a secret that we want to share, a secret that we want people to pray for. There's temptations that we feel that if we don't share in our struggle, temptations that keep us from feeling adequate, keeps us in the dark. Lord, shine your light. Expose the darkness. Let the darkness scatter and be sacked today. May we be a church that desires to love one another, not because we're good, but because you are. Great are you, Lord.
We give you praise.